Twice as nice on soccer and snow and smoke. We got him back in the studio. It's Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, who's graciously agreed to come back in and help us continue our look at the World Cup groups. We've got E and F on deck today, and I can't believe we're getting this done before these teams start play, but we're going to do it. We're going to have this out before Thanksgiving and before those groups start play. Soccer and Snow and Smoke, if you need a reminder, is a new soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula looking at soccer all around the Treasure State as well as globally. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you as always by Canby Tap House and Coffee, Blackfoot Communications, and Zootown Sports Cards. Couldn't do this without our sponsors, and we're happy to announce a little exciting thing here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. We've got a giveaway going for you here. Here's what we've got. We've got a gift card to Canby Tap House and Coffee. We've got a selection of packs containing World Cup cards from Zootown Sports Cards. They were kind enough to donate that. We might have a couple more things in there, but right now we've got a gift card from Canby Tap House and some packs of cards from Zootown Sports Cards. Here's how you're going to enter our World Cup giveaway on soccer and snow and smoke. Text us, 406-888-1029. Text in at any time who you think is going to win the World Cup. And then as a tiebreaker, who do you think is going to win the Golden Boot in the World Cup? You don't have to pick right just in case we don't get anybody who predicts correctly, but that'll enter you. Any prediction, text me, 406-888-1029. That'll enter you in our Soccer and Snow and Smoke World Cup giveaway. We've got some packs of World Cup cards from Zootown Sports Cards as well as a $25 gift card. To Camby Tap House and Coffee. Many thanks to our sponsors, Zootown Sports Cards, Camby Tap House and Coffee, as well as Blackfoot Communications. Stated goal here with these World Cup previews is just to help you get in the mood, get in the game, learn to watch these games smarter, learn a little bit about some of the big players on these teams, learn who the important players are going to be, learn what the important games are going to be. Chris came in with me to preview groups C and D. Those games are going on right now. Chris is taking glances at the Mexico-Poland game. Go back and listen to that one if you want to hear why he's so interested in this game. 0-0 right now, heading into about the 75th minute in that one, I believe. The second game of Group C. But we're here today moving on and looking at Groups E and F. Two interesting ones. Chris, first off, let's get some analysis out of the way from a couple of the early games just real quick. Your thoughts on the the U.S. game yesterday? Oh, U.S. game, huh? <laughs> um, one of those where it's a tie, but it feels like a loss. And that's somebody who was walking through the athletic department hallway, swung by and just said, you know, we tied, but it feels like we lost that game. Um, seemed like something that was within our control, within our reach. And then all of a sudden it's gone and almost lost it by the end. I mean, talk about a clever tactical foul to make sure Gareth Bale's not shooting from halfway to put Wales up 2-1. to one. So um, I feel like the U.S. could have made a couple tweaks in that second half tactically, weren't interested in it. I'd love to be inside Burholter's mind to figure out why is Gio Reyna not going on the field, why is Morris going on the field, there must be a reason for it. Um, they're claiming it's because of Morris's power and athleticism that could have added to it. Uh, at end of the day, I just don't feel like we had the depth to actually finish the job there. So looked really good in the first half, but couldn't put together the complete picture and puzzle by the end. Yeah, and sort of sat back in that second half after that first goal. I mean, you had to anticipate that Wales is going to come out in that second half down one to nothing, and, and they're going to switch things up. Yes. So maybe it's more difficult than you think to keep things on the front foot, but just 
after all the attacking that the U.S. did in the first half, none of that in the second half, and that sort of allowed Wales to get back in it too. Yeah, exactly. And when you know that Wales is only going to sub on guys who are six foot plus, and they're just going to start dumping long balls in the box, you can't sit back and allow them to do that. That's their strength. That's what they're good at. And all of a sudden, you're giving up a penalty kick, and there you go. It's 1-1. Leaves the U.S. in an okay position. You, you never want to lose your first game at the World Cup, and a draw is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see if they can get a result out of England on Friday, on Black Friday, of course. But the big one is going to be the game at the end of the group stage against Iran now, and, and that just becomes even more magnified. I mean, if you win that game against Wales, you're in such a good position. Drawing it is okay. You're still alive. You're maybe still even favored to get out of the group, but now that game against Iran is is probably going to be win or go home for the United States. Chris, I guess the other one to ask you about just happened this morning. This is Tuesday morning, by the way, yeah. November 22nd. Argentina and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, right? I mean, if you look at Argentina's first half, where they score four goals, but only one of them counts, Saudi Arabia's offside trap must have been practiced to such an extent to catch Argentina offside three times, um, and it's all well worked. I mean, you can tell it's rehearsed because of the way the backline stepping, the way that the goalkeeper's connected every single time the ball's being played through. Um, Yeah, I feel like Argentina are going to be absolutely hating it, but there you go. There's that... um, when we talked about previously Saudi Arabia taking so much time off playing six friendly games in the build-up to this event to make sure that they're tactically ready to play against these teams, everybody thought they would lose that first one and potentially do well in the others, but to pick up three points there, all they need now is three points against someone else in the next two games, and they're through. So there's uh, Saudi Arabia doing amazing things this morning. Well, and it also makes the last 15 minutes of the Mexico-Poland game that we're watching right now so huge because if one of those teams picks up a winner at the end here, and it's tied nothing, nothing right now in the 78th minute. We got it on in the studio, trying not to be too distracted too much, but this suddenly becomes a huge game because huge. if you get the winner there, you're you're in control of that group, you would think. Yeah, exactly. And Argentina, meanwhile, is thinking just please tie. If they both right. tie, we're good. And that's what it looks like is going to happen. So, Chris Chitavisky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, joining me as we continue our look around the World Cup here, groups E and F. Chris, first off, I, I just thanks for being here. I, I didn't say yeah. that, but but I appreciate you coming in again Thanksgiving week. I know it's uh, it's difficult. I know you're always busy, but I love always talking soccer with you. So thanks for coming in. Yeah, I love it. I mean, as soon as you messaged me yesterday, I was like, you know what? I want to do it, and uh, let's make it happen. Let's get it going then. Group E, Spain, Germany, Japan, Costa Rica. Is this the group of death this year? Oh. I don't know. It's a good question. But if you look at Japan and Costa Rica, I feel like they're both on the tail end of what was a great era of soccer. So I feel like Spain and Germany should have their way in it. But you never know, especially with the way the Costa Rica defend with with Carlo Navas and goal. They can hold themselves and keep themselves in game. And that's what we saw with Tunisia and Denmark this morning, too, is if you defend well, you can stay in it. And all it takes is one counterpunch. And there you go. Yeah, and that Japan team's got a lot of talent. U.S. fans might be familiar with them because they played one of the pre-tournament friendlies against the U.S. and, and kind of ate their lunch, really. I mean, that's a good yeah. team, probably the best team coming out of Asia as well. And so that's the reason why I say, you know, you would expect Spain and Germany to advance out of it, and it just makes really things really difficult for Costa Rica and Japan, who are both teams who have been, you know, not contenders, but World Cup mainstays, right? They're always there. They're they, always they, there. They're yeah. always, they know how to perform on this stage, yes. right? Yeah. And they can defend well, they can attack, they can score, and they've both made good runs in the World Cup. So it's not like they just make it and they hang out and they get eliminated. They can actually perform. 
Yeah, that's right. We'll deal, I think, with the two underdogs. And, you know, I think they're both good teams, but they're certainly underdogs in this group. A little bit later, I think Spain and Germany are two really interesting teams because I think these are the Mm -hmm. two teams that have dominated a lot of the last decade of international soccer. I think they're both a level down from, you know, where they were at their best. Do you agree? Oh, 100% agree. I was looking at some stats last night in the obviously myself preparing for this, which by the way, the only person upset that I was doing this was my wife because now we can't watch our shows at night. <laughs> so I'm like, listen, I got to prep for this interview that we're doing tomorrow. But um, Spain, they've won one game in the prize two World Cups. One. And that's just not looking very good for them because ever since they've lost David Villa and they've lost the Fernando Torres who they had up front who could score a lot of goals, they've never replaced that. They're a team that'll dominate you, that'll create chances, but Alvaro Morata is going to be the player who's going to win you a World Cup. That's just not the same as having some high-level quality forwards. And so that's been their struggle lately, if you look at them. Yeah, clear tactical and roster construction issue, and it's exactly what Chris sort of laid out. I mean, this is a team that has so many great creative midfielders that they didn't even bring Thiago to this World Cup. Still solid, I think, in defense. Still, I mean, this is a team with a lot of experience. They just don't have the player up top, right? I mean, Spain is great at developing midfielders who can hold possession. Yes. Haven't had a forward who you would expect to score. So how do you how do you expect Spain to try to mitigate that issue tactically? Yeah, I would say if you could take Lewandowski and make him Spanish, Spain could probably win this World Cup. Right. Because that, that's what they need, right? A target nine who can get the job done in the box. But... um how do you navigate it? I don't know. And that's been that struggle. It's been very, uh, and I hate to say this out loud, very grizz soccer of them, right? Stabbed through the soul right there. It's one zeros. It's close games. They need somebody who can get the job done. They just haven't found that one key player who can solve it. And so it's going to end up being the same thing that it always is with Spain is can you have a false nine, somebody dropping in, and all of a sudden they're going to have to construct something beautiful through possession, which Luis Enrique has kind of moved them away from that a little bit. They're a bit more lethal on the counter, but... Still, if it's Ferran Torres or if it's Morata, I just don't think that's enough to actually take you a long way into the World Cup. Do they get out of the group? Probably. But how far? I don't know. Yeah, Morata's sort of the the true number nine. I mean, Ferran Torres is more of a winger. It's just we don't know who's going to be up top for them there. And, of yeah. course, playing like that plays so much into the hands of a team, especially like Costa Rica, who's yes. going to sit back. I mean, Costa Rica will let you have as much possession as you want. You can pass it around. 40, you know, 30 yards from their goal, that's fine. You're not yes. going to be Keeler Navas from there, for one thing. And they're not going to, you know, they're going to pack 10 players behind the ball and make you beat them from there. And it, it doesn't matter how many passes you can link together. So it's, exactly. you know, it, it might be one reason why Spain has struggled so much in the last two World Cups, because that's a style that a lot of national teams play mm-hmm. um, at the World Cup. Certainly when you don't have so much time to prepare you end up playing really defensively. If you're a smaller nation, you end up putting a lot of players behind the ball. So that could be an issue for it. Would you take Germany to win the group then? I mean, both of these teams are so interesting in that I'm not sure if they're really in that first group of top contenders. Who do you think is closer, though? Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting now that you say that. If I could backtrack two steps, just from a philosophical standpoint, it's really interesting. You look at Spain as a culture, and if you look at the two dominant teams in Spain— why did the whole national team flip into a let's all play like Barcelona when you've got one of the greatest counter-attacking teams in the world in Real Madrid there, right? And yet everything seems to be like, hey, let's move the ball like Barcelona, while if you approach it like Real Madrid play, you can win Champions League galore. Maybe you win World Cups galore. Who knows? 
But that's just a random thought that's happened to actually pop into my head right now. But there you go. Well, I think it's an interesting question. Most of those Real Madrid counterattacking teams have been built around players who aren't from Spain, right? That the spine of the Barcelona, yeah, the spine of the Barcelona teams that have been, you know, not entirely Spanish players, obviously, yeah. but Iniesta, Xavi, yeah, Busquets. I mean, just Real Madrid has done it with you know Marcelo and yeah. No, it's really interesting. Is it lacking athleticism, right, in that Spanish national group, I guess. But um, flipping back to Germany, is it theirs? Potentially. They're also lacking a nine. If you took Lewandowski and put them on the German team, I'd say they win the World Cup too, whoever gets him. But um, Germany's just loaded. Because if you look at Bayern Munich, my concern with Bayern was Lewandowski's leaving. They're not going to score. They take Mane from Liverpool. I'm thinking, well, he's not a true nine. They're not going to be winning games. And yet they're on fire right now. It took them a while to get going, but there they go. And if you take Gnabry, if you look at Leroy Sané, if you look at Musiala, that team is loaded with attacking talent. They're missing a true nine, but they're dangerous. There's something about them that makes them so dangerous in front of goal. And I pick them to win the group and Spain probably second. Yeah, that's the thing with Germany. They, like you said, don't have a real number nine. You know, we talked about maybe they're playing Kai Havertz there up top. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll see. But somebody like Thomas Muller, he's not a nine, but he's a proven goal scorer in World Cups. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and he, he's, an, he's an intensely dangerous player. Yeah, he's been doing it forever, I feel like. <laughs> so did I guess the question is, do you have either of those teams up there with Brazil, Argentina? I think we would put France in that first category. You know, I was talking through this with Roland Benedict the other day, and Maybe the Netherlands are up there. Maybe England's yeah. up there. We were talking through those groups. Um, are Spain and Germany up there with them? You know, I just looked at my notes again here, and Germany scored 36 goals in 10 qualifying games and only conceded four. I mean, if you look at that goal-scoring record right there and what they did in the Nations League too, I feel like you've got to put Germany up there as a team who can do it, especially with the coaching change of Hansi Flick coming in over low who did a decent job but I think that they were burning out and so there's there's a lot of momentum with them because there's a lot of momentum in the leagues that these players are playing it they're all very very high level and they're all at the peak of their game so yeah and who knows who starts in goal Ter Stegen or Neuer I mean talk about selection issues yeah the interesting thing with Spain and Germany also is that you know we're talking about um, you mentioned both of these teams it's impossible to talk about the Spanish national team with also mentioning Barcelona it's impossible to talk about the German national team without also mentioning Bayern Munich. I mean, yeah. th- that's different in a lot of ways from a Brazil or an Argentina whose players are all playing in Europe exactly. or a team like France whose players are scattered all around Europe. I mean, there, there are some players on the French team who play for PSG, but it's not just it's not associated with those clubs as much. Does that, that help or hurt? I think it immensely helps, yeah. to be honest, especially with the Germans because they were all attacking players who played together. Besides Havertz, otherwise you're looking at Sané, Gnabry, Musiala, Muller. They're, they're all on the same team. Yeah, It's like Team USA going to the Olympics with uh, Herb Brooks, right? I mean, you've got kids who've played together, then you mix them with a couple others, and off you go, and you have a, a beautiful squad who can make it happen. So, Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think it's an, an underrated reason why those teams have sort of— they were the teams of the last decade because you exactly. have the spine of your team who've played together for so long— that can only help when you're coming into a national team setting. You're playing a bunch of teams who are going to be more disjointed. I think those two are, are, are clearly set out at the top here. Japan and Costa Rica, though, they could make things interesting 
I think just because of the experience from these teams. Yeah, especially Costa Rica, as we've talked about. Look at that 2014 run. They were unbelievably talented and did really well. And a core part of that group is still there. So, But they're, they're comfortable defending. When you look at their qualification process, they struggled in the first half of it. But the second half of it, they hardly ever got scored on. And they had to get there through a continental playoff where they score in the first couple minutes against New Zealand and then just shut up shop and they're fine. So... Like you had mentioned, they will defend well. Spain can have the ball all they want to, so can Germany. They'll just sit there and hit you on the counter. Yeah, the U.S. fans will be familiar with this if you've watched World Cup qualifying at any point. I mean, it's the old Costa Rica, the 5-4-1 essentially, and they'll yeah. sit those 10 behind the ball. And, you know, Joel Campbell's still there. He's yeah, dangerous. Brian Ruiz is still there. <laughs> on, on counterattacks, right? Like Keeler Navas obviously is still there, and that also gives them a, a huge advantage there because he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world still, I think. They're they're a dangerous team. They're experienced at a World Cup. So is Japan. Japan's a little bit more interesting, I think, than Costa Rica because they've got some younger players coming into the team now as well. Yeah, exactly. They're starting attacking mid, uh, what is his name, Kamada, who plays Daichi in Frankfurt. Kamada. Exactly. Yeah. He is unbelievable because if you watch him in the Bundesliga what he has done for Frankfurt is unbelievable he hasn't just been scoring goals against low-level teams he's been doing it against high-level teams he's been doing it in the Champions League I mean he is one of the top players in the world right now when you look at attacking midfielders so yeah I feel like between him between Minamino there's just a lot of talent that can get you on the counter yeah, and you, you saw that in the friendly they played against the United States. They were really successful pressing high. I mean, they're a lot more modern team than somebody like Costa Rica is. They like to press high. Yes. They're going to try to play through you when they get that turnover sort of in the attacking exactly. half. So they can be dangerous as well. You would think that's uh, you know a team like Spain, a team like Germany, both of those teams have so much talent in the midfield. You would think they would be comfortable playing through something like that. But an interesting one to watch. It's Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, joining me for soccer and snow and smoke. Exciting time of the year here in the Soccer Universe World Cup getting started. We're previewing groups E and F for you going into those groups starting play later this week. Groups A and B already kicked off. Group C getting started this morning. Group D will get some games as well. A little breaking news in the soccer world. Just came across the alert on my phone. Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United agree to part ways with immediate wow. effect. Well, there you go. Right now, problem solved. I think so, especially for Manchester United. I don't know where yeah. Ronaldo's going to go, but I think uh, not having the distraction yes, around the locker room. Better. I mean, just around the whole team, right? Yes. And, and and as a coach being like, do I play him? Do I not play him? I feel like Pochettino ran into that when he went to PSG. And it's like, uh, sometimes I want to start Messi on the bench. But if you do, you're going to get fired. Yep. So <laughs> thank goodness Ronaldo's gone because Ten Hag now can coach the team the way he wants to coach the team. Right. And Ten Hag went ahead and, and put Ronaldo on the bench and, and sort of exactly. you knew it was going to be a power struggle. And this is the way it's played out. So it, yeah. Manchester United now fully in on the Eric Ten Hag experiment. Chris, the other thing that's happening right now, Mexico-Poland going to extra time. Seven minutes. USA-Wales had nine minutes. I think it's just a mandate to actually monitor the time that the ball is out of play and accurately fold it back into stoppage time here because I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I thought USA-Wales second half yesterday, relatively normal half of soccer. Yes. You come out and get nine minutes of extra time. Do you like it or not? No. I feel like... Not to sound old, but back in my day, it was like two minutes, right? <laughs> three minutes? Yeah, you'd expect three minutes. minutes. Yeah. This is insane. For what? So, driving me crazy right now. Yeah, and I'm not sure it leads to, you know, maybe it leads to some more exciting goals at the end of games, and maybe that's what FIFA wants. But on the other hand, I mean, 
playing seven minutes at the end of 90. It's exhausting. How much excitement are you going to get out of all these players running around here on tired legs, right? Yeah, tired legs, and then maybe if your team's winning, then you're just sucking the clock, you know, and you're just milking it and taking your time. It's just, no. I mean, good all. Give me two minutes, three minutes, and I'm good with it. I agree, and I, I don't know. I, I have no idea where the mandate came down from, but I, it looks like that's going to be a thing for uh, the future, at least, of this World Cup. Chris, really quick, just a player to watch from every team in, in Group E and, and a player to watch or maybe a player who's really important to the way that they want to play. Yeah, let's look at Spain. If you look at Spain and their young midfield, that's exciting, right? You lost Xavi and Iniesta, and they're going to be replaced with Gavi and Pedri. Those two kids are phenomenal. I've loved watching them play on um, ESPN with La Liga, and it's just been fun to, to see how good those two players are. That's why I think if you give Spain another four years, eight years, they're going to be phenomenal again. Germany... Um, if you look at young players, Musiala, who's only 19 years old, he is unbelievable for when, when he comes for his team in, in, oh God, where is he at? Bayern Munich right yeah. now, right? Yes. Yeah, so Musiala's been doing really good work there. And then Sané's been good, Gundogan's been good, Gnabry's good, Kimmich's good. I just feel like that entire team is loaded. I think they have an issue in the back with Sule potentially playing there, but besides that, team is great. Japan, we have talked about Kamada. He's been doing phenomenal work with Frankfurt. And then Costa Rica, Navas in goal. And then Joel Campbell is going to be the player on the counter to stop. Yep, absolutely right. A lot of familiar names in that group. I mean, yeah. the fact that, that Costa Rica is still doing it with Kaylor Navas. So still. interesting to watch. One of my favorite players in the world. Just, yeah, exactly. you know, it, How old is he now? 38 or he, he's getting up near 40. Yeah, yeah. and he's the one he's who's done it with, with reflexes the entire time because he's not yes. 6'5", like somebody like Thibaut Courtois. Yeah. Jorge Campos, fascinating, incredible yeah. player. Great segue mentioning Thibaut Courtois. We're moving into Group F here. Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Another interesting group here is Poland spurns a chance, and it's still scoreless in the Mexico-Poland game. We're watching it here in the studio at ESPN Missoula as we're going on soccer and snow and smoke. But, Chris, Group F, interesting group, maybe, maybe a group without a contender to win the whole thing, but a lot of good teams. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way to look at it because is it Canada, is it Croatia, is it Belgium? I don't know about Morocco, but you would assume that Belgium should run away with this thing. But I mean, when you're playing Canada first, I think that's the, the one team that they probably didn't want to face in the opening game. They, they might become the next Argentina, Saudi Arabia type situation. Really interesting scenario here with just where these teams are at in the cycle, right? Belgium's golden generation is sort of starting to fade out. I know, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is still in his prime, but yeah. Eden Hazard is old now. He's not the player he once was. No. Romelu Lukaku certainly not at the height of his career to where he once was. Yes, Canada is the team on the upswing with players like Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. Yeah, Croatia again fading out a little bit. Luka yeah, Modric Luka is Modric. getting old. Yeah. You know, they made it to the last World Cup final. I wouldn't expect them to do that again just because everybody's four years older. And it's difficult for a nation of that size to keep that cycle of talent going, right? Very true. So just an interesting sort of uh, contrast between some of these teams. Yeah, you've just got the young, high-flying, energetic Canadians against the old people of Croatia. (laughs) Let's talk about Canada first. I think, again, a team that United States fans will be familiar with from World Cup qualifying, and Canada was the best team in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. I think it happened... A little bit sooner than people expected but this is a you know they gelled together really well and they know what they're doing gelled together well i do feel like they use that climate to their advantage sometimes right you're going to purposely position some of these you know so does the u.s though <laughs> so does the u.s exactly right but i feel like they played that game exceptionally well but then 
they just beat Japan in the build-up to the World Cup. I mean, Canada's a good team, and they brilliantly played Uruguay. They lost 2-0. They outplayed them at times in the second half, but they learned their lesson that if we're not clinical goal-scoring, then all of a sudden a team like Uruguay can catch us twice, and all of a sudden we're going to lose 2-0. So they've done very well learning their lessons in the build-up. The thing about Canada I think that stands out to me the most is just the speed of the team, right? Yes. Just burners everywhere. Alfonso Davies is one of the fastest players in the world, but Jonathan David's that same kind of forward, likes to press the back line, getting behind. Yes. You know, the wingbacks, when they're playing with wingbacks, somebody like Richie Larea, Davies will play up top for this team in the, yeah, exactly. in the World Cup. He doesn't yep. do that for Bayern Munich. He plays left back, but he'll play up top yeah. for this team. But uh, the wingbacks are, are incredibly fast as well. It, it makes them dangerous. Yeah, extremely dangerous. <laughs> They've just got attacking players everywhere. And if you look at Alfonso David and his career, his youth career, he was a winger. And then Byron signed him and obviously turned him into an outside back. So he's used to playing up front, which is why he's so good at it. Yeah, he was one of the most dangerous wingers in the MLS for uh, Vancouver Whitecaps when he mm-hmm. was you know, 17 years old. He can certainly yeah, exactly. play up there, and he's always played up there yeah. with the national team. So he's the guy that scores goals for them. I mean, Canada... It's a trendy dark horse. I mean, this is a team that could make it out of the group, could win a game probably yes. in the knockout stage. And it's honestly great to see. Yeah, it's very re- exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of jealousy there probably for the U.S., right? Certainly. To be like, I wish we had that kind of a fluid attack, but the Canadians seem to have the complete, complete picture. And as Roberto Martinez, Belgium's head coach, said yesterday in the build-up to the game, he's like, we're not just playing against their athleticism, we're playing against their emotion because it's their first World Cup in a really long time, and they are bonded over that. And how are we going to represent this whole country? It's not like we do it every single World Cup. It's it's special for them. It means something more. And the thing about Canada, too, is that they've got the young, fast, you know, just incredibly exciting players. They've also got some some veterans on this team. I mean, Milan Borjan, the goalkeeper. Atiba Hutchinson is still back uh, on this roster. Steven Eustachio in midfield. Mm-hmm. It's a team that's going to have a little bit of experience a little bit of of bite i think to it to sort of temper the speed of the young players so it's an exciting team to watch you know i know they're rivals of the united states it's a team that i'm rooting to do for to do well because i think they're exciting and i i would like to see them you know get out of the group i think that if if you sort of looked at this group and you were thinking from a couple years ago you would think that belgium and croatia were the two teams though let's go with belgium first another team that i'm rooting for a lot of talent, a team that's been ranked number one in the world Yes. in the official FIFA rankings for a long time. Just recently. Although I think they just replaced. lost it. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. to Brazil. But they're still second. Are they that caliber of team for you? Is, is this a team that can make a run to the final? You know, when I started thinking about it last night without the research, I'm like, all right, it's the end of the golden generation. Can they pull it off? But if you look at their Nations League scores last year, if you look at their qualification process, they were 6-0-2. I mean, this is a team that just doesn't lose. So they're going to be organized. They're going to be experienced. They have what Canada are kind of missing in that aspect, where a lot of players have played at this level and know what they're doing, and they've done it together. They've kept that core group together. And now they've got a kid like Trossard, who's been doing so well for Brighton. So exceptionally well. Yes, you've lost Lukaku, but I think Trossard might be the player who jumps out for them at this World Cup. Yeah, it's it's one of the advantages of being at the end of a golden generation or as the golden generation starting to fade out. These players have played with each other for so long. Yes, They've got a ton of talent. I mean, they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world. 
They've got maybe the best player in the world in Kevin De Bruyne, and he's the kind of player who can just take over a World Cup, right? I mean, he doesn't need many chances to uh, to change the game, but the thing about this Belgium team is they're going to give him a lot of chances because they're probably going to be on the ball a lot. Yeah, exactly. They're going to have most of the possession, and they're going to play in whatever weird shape Martinez sets them up in, right? Where they're going to overload you in key areas. It's not traditional. You can't go man-v-man against Belgium because you're going to lose out. Somewhere they're going to have a free player floating, and now when they find that free player, he is a brilliant tactician. They will find a Kevin De Bruyne in space, and if you give him space on top of the box, you're dead. If you give him space out wide, he can cross it, and they have the players in the box who can finish. Yeah, I guess that's the question for me, right? Is Romelu Lukaku going to sort of spin back the wheel of time here and find his prime form? I mean, this is a player who had the potential to be one of the greatest strikers in the world, was one of the best players in the Premier League for years and years at Everton, maybe found the fountain of youth again. I mean, he's he's a difficult player, right? You have to yes. find the right situation for him. Yeah, maybe he can do it for Belgium because some players just play better for their country. Like, I've always wondered what would Ochoa be like if he played in the Premier League or right. somewhere. But I forget about him, and now today happens, and he saves a penalty kick against Lewandowski. I'm like, there's Ochoa. Once every four years, I put on my Ochoa wig, and it's like, there you go. That guy is amazing. It really is crazy how long Memo Ochoa has been doing it for yes. Mexico. He's, a, I mean, he's a guy whose his game takes a step forward at the World Cup, and it's crazy to watch, and it's crazy to watch him do it again. Croatia, though, another team. Made it to the last World Cup final. Luka Modric did in the last World Cup what I think we would hope Kevin De Bruyne does in this World Cup and sort of drag that team all the way to the final. He's still there, probably his last international tournament ever. Yeah, I would think so. Can they repeat their run? Uh, I don't think they make it all the way to the final, no, but Nations League last year. Again, nobody takes the Nations League that seriously, right? So if you're you're not familiar with Nations League, there used to be European qualification, World Cup qualification, and we always had these friendlies in between, right? All these pointless friendlies. Hey, France against Croatia. Nobody really tries. So they thought, hey, let's create this mini tournament called the Nations League in between these major events, and teams will take these games more seriously. So there's a Nations League group that featured Croatia in it, Denmark and France, and we talked last time on air how Denmark beat France both times to finish ahead of them in that Nations League. Well, Croatia finished ahead of both of them. So even though they're an older, more aging team, they do have the experience of being in a World Cup final. They finished first in their group again. They only allowed four goals in 10 games. They're going to defend very well, and they do have some players who can score goals. And quality other players like Brozovic, who's one of the best holding midfielders in the world, who's playing at Inter Milan. It's just... I get Modric is there, but as he's moving out, I feel like they, they have other players who can come through and play well for them. Yeah, and that's the reason why it's a really interesting group. I think three teams who maybe could take that top spot, depending on if Belgium play up to their potential or not. The fourth team, Morocco, just really quick. Are they just the fourth wheel in this group, or is there something there? No, I think they might just be the fourth wheel, because even though people say they were dominant in qualification, if you look at AFCON qualification, you there are 10 groups you have to finish first in your group. If you finish first in your group, then that puts you in all of a sudden in a playoff game against somebody else. Morocco qualified against Congo. They didn't have to play Nigeria. They didn't have to play Algeria. They didn't have to play Egypt or Mali. They had the easiest way in. And they comfortably won 5-2 on aggregate. So most people will say, oh, Morocco, they blazed their way through qualification and made it in. To be honest, they had the easiest route through and they've made it through. They have Hakimi, who's a good winger, um, over at PSG. Mazwari, who's a good player over at Bayern. Yeah. And then Ziyech, who does well for Chelsea. But 
I feel like they're going to be that classic African team who can defend. No, to be honest, if I flash back to African teams, they would attack well, but they wouldn't defend well. There seems to have been a shift into well-organized, can defend, just as we saw Tunisia doing this morning. So Morocco will defend well. They have a couple key players who can hurt you, but I don't know if they're good enough to upset a Croatia or a Belgium or even a Canada. Yeah, I've got some beef with Africa qualifying and the way it's set up just by throwing teams into those one-on-one playoffs because you end up with Senegal playing Egypt and Mohamed Salah not being there. Morocco's a good team. Tunisia's a good team. You know, I guess some issues with any system that leaves Mohamed Salah out of the World Cup, leaves Riyad Mahrez out of the World Cup. You know, uh, Nigeria is a great team. Real quick, Chris, just one one player to watch, somebody who's going to be important for each of these teams. Uh, for Belgium, De Bruyne. For Morocco, Hakimi, who I think is a great wing back or winger uh, or outside back. Uh, it's got to probably be Jonathan David for Canada, right? He is just on fire with his goal scoring right now. Great player, still at Lilla yeah, in, still, in the French still, League. Like, hugely important in their shock title Yes, last year. I mean, one of the best young forwards in the world. Yeah, which is why he's linked to Manchester United's and Real Madrid is sniffing around him. I mean, that, that's a kid who can score goals, but can he handle the weight of the World Cup, right? That's, that's what we're waiting to see. And then for Croatia, I would say... Probably Brozovic in the middle. Maybe Ivan Perisic is still hanging around. He's older, but who knows? Croatia is just a good team altogether. There you have it. Groups E and F covered with uh, Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana soccer team, frequent guest, and always a pleasure to have on soccer and snow and smoke. That just about wraps up our coverage here of the World Cup. Ross McMoneys will be joining me to preview groups G and H, the last two. Thanks for listening along. Happy to bring you all this World Cup coverage on soccer and snow and smoke. This and uh, Groups G and H, the previews, will be the last for us before Thanksgiving, but we'll be coming out of the break strong with some more content. We might see Chris back in here as well, just as we're going out of the group stage into the knockouts. Lovely to have you as always. Looking forward to talking more soccer with you. Absolutely. Good to be back, and hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Soccer and snow and smoke brought to you as always by Zootown Sports Cards, Blackfoot Communications, and Canby Tap House and Coffee. Big thanks to our sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. Zootown Sports Cards, Missoula's hub for all things sports card and collectible collecting. Go and see Hillary and Jason in the Stevens Center, 2100 Stevens Avenue. Plenty of soccer cards on the shelf if that's something you want to get into. Or if you've already gotten into it, they will uh, help you out, answer all your questions, get you on the right path. Blackfoot Communications, meanwhile, the uh, official digital sponsor of Grizzly Athletics, huge supporter of everything we do here at ESPN Missoula, as well as at Skyline Sports. Whatever your internet and communications needs, whether it's business or personal, get in touch with the fine people at Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. And finally, Canby Tap House and Coffee, two great locations in Missoula, one in the Sawmill District, one on South Hingids Avenue. Love that place. I do too. It's a place I visited before and after some Montana Grizzlies soccer games this fall. Their location down on South Higgins. Great selection of beer. They've got a uh, rotating, diverse tap list. Anything you want to go and try, they'll have it for you. They'll be able to point you in the right direction as well. Very knowledgeable and helpful staff there at Canby Tap House. And a great food menu as well. Go and check out the World Cup games at Canby Tap House, Sawmill District, and on South Higgins. This has been Soccer and Snow and Smoke for Chris Chitovitsky. I'm Andrew Houghton. Thank you for listening.